everybody. It is Wednesday, March 1st. It is 5 p.m. in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Max Cohen. I'm the writer for the Museum of Crypto Art, and this is the Mocha Live podcast. Joining me as he does every week, the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, Colborn Bell. Colborn, what's up? Always a pleasure to be here, and today I'm especially glad to be here. Why is that, Colborn? It's just one of those days, you know? It's just one of those days when... Uh... You just got to be with your dudes talking <laughs> out loud. And uh, yeah, I like this topic. It's a cool topic. Yeah, we got a topic today. We're not just endlessly talking into the void. I mean, yeah, maybe we'll just talk endlessly into the void. Actually, I guess I'll be talking endlessly into the void. But Colborn does bring up a great point, uh, which is, again, we do have a topic today. And the topic today is based on something that many of us in crypto art um, probably noticed was going on over the last week. And that is this groundswell of enthusiasm that came out of NFT Paris. It's been kind of a darkish time for crypto art over the last bunch of months, I guess you could say, just with the kind of stagnation with the overall market, uh, coupled with a lot of opinion driving narratives within the space. And then you have this event, NFT Paris, a lot of people are there, crowds, enthusiasm, there's reinvigoration. So you, Colborn, were there in Paris. I'd love to hear about your experience. Yeah, Renee and I were there. And, you know, it's it was I can't even begin to describe how reinvigorating it was because, uh, you know, it was so dark that we had to do the Valentine's Day podcast just to bring a little love back into the space. And it's like it's so self-healing. The art is like really self-healing. I have to shout out. The organizers of NFT Paris, they did an exceptional job, um, not since like NFC uh, in Lisbon did I feel such like a connection and care for the art and the event. Um, everything was packed, lines around the corner, the, the foreign, you know, French minister of, of arts and culture showed up, uh, you know, the, the first lady of France showed up. It was it was truly an affair, and um, that is, it's so reassuring to see people like go through something that is presumably traumatic, and to see that people are like still there and care, and it's really not about the money. And the same people that like built it up in the beginning just like it, it, they really love it and the whole thing is getting stronger it's getting deeper um i think they said there were 500 people last year this year there were 10,000 uh and you could feel the energy in the room you really could in your experience was it more people kind of coming together who had been here for a long time or were there people just like wading in or dipping their toe into crypto art? I mean, I, I, you know, obviously there were a lot of people who I met before who had been to a, a lot of these things or perhaps just go to every single one. Um, there was also a lot of new people. Uh, and I think something, you know, I think something special is certainly happening in France. I think, you know, there is a, a culture of revolution there and there is a culture of culture. Uh, so if there is a culture of a cultural revolution, then they want to be there and they want to be in it. Uh, I think what the, the Pompidou had done to acquire those works, 
uh, you know, maybe a month before this event, perhaps that added a lot of, of fuel to the fire, but people were certainly talking about it. Uh, you know, NFT factory is adjacent to the Pompidou. So, and that was, you know, completely packed to the nines, beautiful venue. Um, lovely. It was really, really lovely. Was there any like specific event that you could point to that feels like an encapsulation of why this was such a revitalizing event? It, you know, I, it, it was just the right combination of like small and large and the right people were there. Right. It wasn't so overblown with like the money and the grifters. And, and frankly, there was almost a bit of an intentional separation between, uh, like the more commercial activities. And that was put kind of in the front of the venue. And as you worked your way towards the back, there was, uh, you know, Maker Place had a tremendous booth. Uh, there was Akia. There was more of, of the art in the back. And it was frankly kind of nice to have that separation and to also be with people who cared about uh, art. Yeah, you know, to, to like highlight it. I don't, you know, you... <laughs> I don't want to hit on this, but you go back to like NFT London and that famous photo of like the wheelie cart stand with the TVs kind of haphazardly. Yeah. Strung through the, you know, the venue. This was, there was a lot of pride. There was a lot of pride and you could tell, you really could tell. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I remember, I mean, the only crypto art conference I've ever been to uh, was NFT NYC last year. And I think a lot of people, or like a lot of people on our extended network, uh, I didn't even like touch the convention itself. That was, you know, of no interest yeah. to me. I was advised not to touch the convention itself. It was just, I guess, appealing to a different kind of NFT enthusiast. And so this whole week long experience um, was just spent moving kind of from group to group and uh, meeting people for the first time who I had only kind of known from their Twitter, uh, which were these very kind but still like stilted online interactions. Uh, stilted being like the nature of predominantly Twitter interactions in general. But it's just amazing. And I hope this doesn't come across in, in any way but just truthful. Um, but people give me a lot of compliments on Twitter. And there's a big difference between someone telling me on Twitter, like, oh, you're writing, it's brilliant which is, I mean, wonderful and appreciated. I absolutely keep it coming. Um, and then having someone actually say, oh, you're Max Cohen, I love your writing. It's brilliant in person. And just having that face-to-face -face interaction, I think is so, I mean, just that alone, right? In the right setting. Um, there's a lot of pride uh, of just being in this space, yeah. and, you know? And, and I think that pride can come from the top down or from the bottom up. And I think like NFT London, for example, whatever pride there was from artists and collectors who were there was not met um, similarly with pride from the top. Uh, you've traveled to way more of these conferences than I have, though. Um, what are some other ones that have like jumped out to you as equally revitalizing encapsulations of you know what we're all doing here? Yeah, I mean, look, we can obviously talk about what <laughs> what the the team did down in mexico with the non-nft summit that really freaking ruled you know that was that was well well done um nfc which we mentioned uh you know it's it, the the experience in istanbul was was interesting and cool you know each one does have its own 
flavor for sure. Um, but something about just like the, the, the proximity of like the European union and the way it has the ability to like pull people there. And I don't, you know, Paris is just a wonderful setting to come back and, and discuss arts and culture. I just, I'm still in really awe, really in awe. I mean, there's an irony here too, right? Like, I think this is worth noting that we live and work and enthuse over the space that is based on art that is not physical. And it has a way of feeling still more alive and legitimate when we're physically with each other. I, I mean, I think there's all these hidden ironies of yeah. crypto art, but uh, <laughs> I mean, what do you think about that? Like, why is it that digital art comes alive when we're seeing it in person? You know, I was, I just actually had uh, a conversation about this with like the Arsenal team. And they're talking about 86 year old Frank Stella. And he was talking about the geometries that he created, not as like, somebody said that like, you know, why did you make them white? And he's like, well, I actually don't think of them as white. You know, I think of them just as like energy tubes or like energy structures. And that's kind of how I've begun to really think about this arts, right? Like we are kind of forming these connections in a way online that are like deeper than likes and comments, right? Because you can like something, but you know, there's also an inherent like value transfer on the blockchain. There is immutable provenance, right? There is authenticity. And it's just a deeper way to like tell somebody that like, I see you, I recognize what you're doing and I care. Uh, and we were also talking about like Bitcoin proof of work, uh, what it means to like capture energy into a coin, what it means to mine it. Uh, and like artists are doing this with their creativity, right? They are like embodying and transmuting some energy into a token. And all of those feelings when that connection is made, it's, it's so much more powerful. And there's ways that like this energy over time can build up. Uh, into perhaps even like the idea of a, a collection, like a collection of these energies or something like that the museum has done. So for you, even like you have personally gone through everything in the museum's permanent collection and you have like poured your energy into that thing, right? So the idea of like the artwork transmuting and building and growing through all of these people touching it and connecting with it and then to connect on in real life when all of this has been brought to this thing it's it's just so incredibly powerful because we're exchanging these energies so much more quickly online in these places that it's it it is almost like all the time like waiting to explode and i am somebody that very much just like feeds off of the energy of other people so when people come up to me and like say like, oh, I, I loved this and this and this, or it's, it's, it's incredibly motivating to keep going. It's, it's very powerful, like the idea of compounding energy. It reminds me a lot of uh, Pindar Van Armen's robot paintings. And this was something that like, as soon as I saw them fascinated me, the idea that he would uh, create a painting either by digital means, or he would physically paint it, upload it into a digital medium, mm. send it through to a mm. robot arm that would then bring it into the real world. Um, it would like physically paint the thing and then he would digitize that again. And, and like, I always thought this was so incredible. The conception of mm. the idea passing 
that idea over the screen into the digital realm, bringing it back into the mm. physical realm in a new form, and then redigitizing that. And it's like it's this conversation being had by these two mediums traveling over and across the screen, but the same energy is being volleyed back and forth. And what you get in the ultimate product is this awareness of the journey of the thing, right? And, and especially in an event, like yeah. an IRL event. And I can only speak to NFT NYC last year uh, personally, but at an event like that, so many people from all over the world um, had not just come to that place, but come to invest their energy uh, into crypto art. Like Crypto Argentina doing their Rias Go País exhibition, you know, finding a gallery space in Chinatown not long before NFT NYC started, like building it up and hosting the gallery there. Um, it's just like the mutability of all this energy in one place and you get to see it collected and then like exploded outwards, right? Like I feel like so much of the internet is trying to do that, like mimic these real world, like hyper conventions, giant gatherings. Um, it's like trying to create a facsimile of this. Um, but I think this is the point at which social media has like mostly failed. I mean, nobody spends their time in Facebook groups where they like talk about similar interests. I mean, you might jump in there for a moment, but it's different when you're physically inundated with it. Uh, and it's something only the physical space. It hasn't been able to be recreated in an online space, um, especially Twitter, as far as I've seen. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a. I'm somebody who gets bored with things very easily. This conception idea of like crypto art and what it means and where we're going, like people in tech and all of this, like this is endlessly fascinating to me. Um, and even the, you know, what's also interesting is like the the digital identities that people project for themselves and then like being forced to confront and step into the realness of of reality and either like dox themselves if they want or or to remain in, in these anonymous places. And it's been actually wonderfully interesting to see over the last couple of years people that are like incredibly anonymous that like show up to these events they feel more comfortable they like get more loose and and that's cool right there's um i don't know there's something there's something like undeniably human about that that you just don't get online right um because even like for the most part, the humans that are presented online, I guess perhaps as like influencers, well, you know, that is, that is a hard strain, but like also when you see them in reality, like they're, they're also like people with lives that are responding. And, you know, I think I genuinely do believe for the most part everybody is really trying to do at least right now where we are is really trying to do they bet the best they can for the space themselves like their projects really trying to create something that means something to them and whether we all like agree or or disagree i do believe it is a generally well-intentioned space yeah absolutely i mean i think we sometimes forget but um, this is really common. A lot of, I think like a lot of really creative endeavors. There are a lot of people who just do not have creativity in the center of their purview and are perhaps more warped in their aim, <laughs> but because they're more vocal, we start to equate the two things together in a way that isn't necessarily fair. And I'm wondering, has there ever been at any of these conferences, like, have you ever been really surprised by how someone has appeared or acted, uh, that you would just not have expected based on their online persona? 
Uh, <laughs> have I been really surprised by somebody? I mean, I don't want to like out anybody. There's people that I have been like, let's say more perhaps like positively sympathetic towards when you actually like feel their energy and like maybe these people like actually do believe these things that they're saying. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, there are people that have like large voices and, and large things that could be, you know, that have been called all sorts of different names online. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't know. It is actually pretty hard to, to like decipher people's intentions, but, and maybe I just like to see the good, you know, what's interesting is online crypto has made me incredibly distrustful and suspicious of people, but in real life, I'm very like trusting and be like, Oh, these people are like totally super cool. Um, so that is, maybe that is like the, the, the thing that's going on here. Right. And, and for new newcomers, like they don't really understand why you need to be like distrustful of people, especially in crypto online. Uh, and that's maybe why they fall into different, different like areas of influence or control or more susceptible, like susceptible to people who are like constantly on Twitter spaces or screaming and yelling. I mean, we kind of spoke about this with Giselle last week. Like if you get a message in your inbox or your DMs with a link, like I'll be damned if I'm clicking a link uh, and especially not in the same browser my wallet is in. Right. Um, it's incredible Like you have to have this distrust. It's not a matter of personal opinion or a reflection of any given individual. It's like literally a matter of survival yeah. in like a real way. And of course you hear stories every week of people who are too trusting or let their guard down and you never want that to be you. Um, we were talking about how hard it must be to be a new artist trying to make like a network of people uh, in crypto art with this kind of widespread distrust. Um, but I'm sure many people have experiences where they've like glommed onto a group or like getting to know someone or some people in these real life settings instead of online. Um, because I mean, you can definitely get to trust somebody more so when you're there in front of them than when you're, you know, looking at, you know, uh, bodiless message on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I think just like, uh, you know, what is reputation? It's like experienced trust over time. And I think the, the weight of being in person, that is, that is real. Like that is substantive. Like I want to know that people are showing up. I want to see that, you know, I had like wonderful conversations with, um, with Eric Snowfro, our blocks, right? Like about just, uh, and, and somebody posted it like, he was there with Jeff, like at their booth, talking to everybody, you know, and that is like, and, and, you know, you saw it in the beginning, you see it, that is just like, that is that person, that person fucking loves it, lives it, cares for it and wants everything for it, will always give their time, like such a good representative. You know, and then you know that there's people like that, like Eleanor Breezy, like incredibly like vibrant, positive, like manning her booth, showing off an incredible project, new space on super rare, D 
did like all of this, this minting, like just incredible. Fanny Lakubi, right? These are people that have been like there since the beginning of time in this. They're not going anywhere. That is like the, the base layer of like trust and reputation to know that you can also bring that and like insert yourself into that fabric. Um, you know, foundational, foundational people that extend kind of like beyond the artists. I feel like I always end up bringing up the metaverse when we talk about like literally anything in crypto <laughs> art, but I think there's so much more difficulty and this isn't nearly as much of an insight as maybe I'm making it out to be, but you know, it's very difficult to hide yourself when you're there in front of someone. Um, you end up becoming yourself by force, right? Snowfro ends up becoming this passionate, kind person he is because uh, the urges to sociability that are just there in him, like all the passion kind of spills out. Uh, outside of Twitter, for example, I curse like a sailor, but in a space like this, I'm a bit more reserved. And on Twitter, I write much more politely and much more thoughtfully than how I speak. But you meet me in person getting tacos, and I'm going to say the F word like five times in three sentences because <laughs> fuck is the best adjective, and it's the best noun. And I think you could make the argument that it's the best verb as well. It's not um, a bad verb, yeah. Yeah, but the metaverse, sorry. Um, I have a big article coming out in a couple of weeks about the metaverse like as a concept. And one of the people I spoke to for that article was Philip Rosedale, who created Second Life. Uh, and he had a quote I wanted to read that seems very pertinent to this conversation. Um, I was asking him about identities in Second Life, like people sliding in and out of different avatars. Uh, and he said, quote, um, Second Life identities actually tend to be very rich and very robust and persistent. That is to say, you can change your gender in a second in Second Life, but you don't. Your identity, just like in real life, is tied to your ongoing relationships to those who are witnessing that identity that you've created. I think that as we create metaverses which are truly live, the subterfuge of projecting a false identity or an aspirational or a performative identity is going to be whittled down. Uh, end quote. And I think that we all have this naturally just because you know we've been alive for however many years. You have like an ingrained sense of subterfuge or, or generosity or like people who are genuine. And I think the thing about social media for me uh, and that this is all going on, you know, crypto art on Twitter is that you just lose that inherent sense of what's right and what's like a little off because you can't see behind the font. And IRL events kind of all reveal to me, like newly reveal to me how obfuscating and, and misleading the Twitter experience actually is, which I mean, I think is a pretty well-held opinion. Um, what do you think about like, why are there not more consistent investment in IRL events and exhibitions and gatherings? It's, it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult to put one of these on, right? I was involved with like what Kook did in Los Angeles with NFT in what he did with in NFT Paris on the back of like the motion plus design stuff. And, and that was much more scale. It is a monstrous amount of work, right? Organizing any sort of event is incredibly difficult. Um, so, you know, the people that do it in, in my mind, they, they deserve a lot of, uh, praise because, you know, you can, and frankly, it's, it's, it's almost kind of thankless. Everybody wants, you know, everybody wants to go to a party, but nobody wants to host it. Physical things are hard, like, you know, building installations, getting, you know, televisions, workers, all of these things. We are talking about like that place was massive. I don't even know, maybe like 50,000 square feet. I wouldn't even know where to, to begin on executing something like that. So that takes like a, a 
takes a pretty special thing. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And, you know, you can build it, but there's no guarantee that they'll come. Uh, you can host a party, but if the guest list is lacking, maybe everyone is a cousin getting married that weekend. It's just not going to work. Um, so I feel like it's so serendipitous as well, right? The right collection of people who are all learned and enthusiastic, people who are experienced in the space. So the new people coming in have a way to ground themselves. And then the experienced people need to have like their friends and enough of the people they admire to make their experience worth it to come in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I met like a, a young woman there who was relatively, I think it was three months in Web3. Um, and I was really like pressing to get a uh, like a temperature check on kind of what it was like to be somebody with no friends, to be sent there by your company, to go in blind. Like, did you find it like accommodating? Did you find it interesting? Um, and, you know, it was it was kind of a, a I'd say more of a tepid response. Um yeah, you know, it, it was very interesting, but like long lines and it was hard to do this and it was hard to do that. And, you know, that's probably like a lot of stuff at, at this point that I take for granted. Her, you know, I think being a, a woman, I think it is like you saw, obviously, well, I, I would imagine you saw that to God's video where it was all the guys like jumping around, drinking beer from the shoe. And like, it's, it's weird that that is the stuff that comes like out of the culture and gets like shown more and attracts attention when the reality is, in my opinion, so much different than that. So I get how there's also like the projection perhaps of a cultural problem when maybe in the reality is that it's pretty layered, but you know, maybe the people that are like actually doing the work aren't the ones that are online all the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's no secret that the entire ecosystem has like an image problem, especially because whatever we seem to do here is being passed through the lens of everything NFT related, you know, into the media outlets most people are going to. And then they're just seeing this like bizarre D-Gods-esque version of NFTs. And I think that's why it's so hard for me when I meet people I don't know very well, especially like when I tell them what I do. Like I change the definition of what I do every time, like depending on the company, you know, I say I'm sometimes a crypto art writer or a digital art writer or just an art writer. And then the same thing about, you know, going into the museum in depth too. But then you meet people who are like actually genuinely interested and it's like a kind of a lifeboat. Like when you physically meet people who are really interested in what we do here, it's, it's invigorating. It's kind of wonderful in its own right. Um, and it's wonderful that there's some company sending a, you know, a young woman to this event to learn and meet. And like that itself is a victory, right? Yeah. Like some group of people somewhere said, like, we need to invest in making sure we have boots on the ground in this ecosystem. And every time one of those people comes into one of like these spaces of ours, or, or every time I meet someone who I can wax poetic to about crypto art in the museum, it's like another tendril out into the world. You know, which is gonna like in theory be able to bypass the impressions of that fucking D guys video, which like <laughs> sure I've seen a million times and it never stops being hilarious at first, but it's all always deeply, deeply depressing afterwards. I mean, I wanna yeah, I wanna shout out like Maria Paula as well and JPEG. They had this beautiful CRTV like exhibition. There were people that you know, for whatever reason, really went above and beyond. Um you know, there was a major Tom Sachs thing that I didn't even have a chance to begin to explore what they were doing because there was like a 
250 person bait list at all times. Um, there was plotters going around. I think something with like Nicholas Sassoon and like people, I don't know, man, that was, there was, it was, I wish it had been like a week. Two days was not enough. Is that all? It was only two days. Yeah, it was two days. I mean, the programming was exceptional. I didn't have much time to like listen to people. Um, but just, just the, the amount of connection that was created and done then was, it was wild. Have you formulated any like kind of new insights or conclusions about the state of crypto art now that you've had, you know, a few days to like decompress and think about things? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I think 100% like, so, you know, I think fundamental technology, right? We've proven that for all sorts of media, right? I think the state of crypto art is, is generally just in the hands of the artists. Do I always think there will be like rebellious people trying to do exceptional things to point out, you know, like what is wrong? Absolutely. And do I think there are curators who care to highlight and give voice and, you know, continue to uplift like different voices? Yes, absolutely. I think the it's funny because like this thing that we're up against being the idea of just like this historical art canon. And then this thing that we have, like the internet and blockchain is like, this is so antiquated and this is so powerful. And of course there's going to be a lot of bleed into this, but we really don't have to recreate the same thing. We can kind of do something totally new. And it's really just about continuing to open up people's perceptions to what is and what can be and how to like support different types of people, art, voices, culture, creation um, through this medium. So to be like cognizant of it and to look for weird and interesting things. So I think, I think crypto art will always be alive and well if this is what we think the spirit of it is. Yeah. I think it's more intense than that. Actually. I like, I think crypto art needs to not be related to like, it needs to rebel against the things that came before because like that's, what's so attractive about it to many people who were here. Like, I don't mean to fire shots at anyone in particular. Like it's definitely not what I'm trying to do here, but um, like, I want to mention my experience at the super rare art gallery in Soho in, in New York. Um, and like, I have no idea what went on behind the scenes. Um, so I'm not extrapolating, but like I went there because I was like, wow, there's a crypto art gallery in Soho. That's a huge deal. And you walk in and it's just like a gallery with a dozen TVs and each had, you know, some art piece on them. And there were two employees behind a desk who were as unenthused about my presence and uninterested in talking to me as employees at art galleries all around New York have proven to be, I don't know, maybe I smell, maybe, maybe I smell like I'm not going to buy anything. Um, Regardless, I was yeah. disappointed. Not that it wasn't beautiful, but it just wasn't, I don't know, it was like every art gallery I'd ever been to. And I'm not sure that crypto art can survive if it falls back into old norms and like what's comfortable. Because we definitely don't do the art, old art world better than the old art world does itself. Uh, we do a new thing, though, better than the old art world does anything. <laughs> and every Christie's and Sotheby's auction rings like with the same kind of underlying message to me. Like, what is the pull, not for individual artists, but for the space to recreate the things that came before? Like, I don't get it. Like, I know it's comfortable, but it's also deeply, deeply deleterious to the space as it tries to form its own identity. Um, you know, I don't 
want to have artists pass through the reserve price pipeline so they can come out at Sotheby's on the other end. And I think the experience I've had or the experiences I've had in crypto art that are the best are the ones that are like totally off the wall and weird and unique, uh, like the data party uh, at NFT NYC, which was just like there was a fucking room full of like old knickknacks and curios that were all like splayed out in front of mirrors. And I don't know, it was like a fever dream I'd have as a kid, like laying sick in bed, watching TV land and like not knowing what was going on around me. And like, that's super memorable. It's so interesting. And uh, from what I've heard um, about the non-NFT conference in Mexico City, that was like the vibe there too. Like, let's be weird. Let's lean into the strangeness of the whole thing. Like, let's not try to recreate every other facsimile of before, right? I'm, I'm going to have to agree. Like, the, the, the best magic occurs both in those, like, wild moments and perhaps even the, the failures of those wild moments. Um, and it's not like these, like, wild expressions of energy that come together at these conferences are always entirely positive. Like... People are moving fast. There's your people are breaking a lot of things. There are, you know, relationships where there's like shifts in energy and like, yeah, those, those people are still there. And then, you know, like, what do you do? How are you supposed to behave? How are you supposed to like have uh, conversations with them and, and like things that might've been said online or in places where you thought you were presumably like more safe than to actually have to confront the person, you know, I've had both good and bad experiences. And, you know, I've had people that have come up, um, you know, and say, like, thank you for criticizing, you know, what we do. Uh, like, I appreciate it. And I've had people that like turn their back on on stuff that I say, you know, and that's what I say is that like, you know, you, you get there. And, you know, you, we have to one, I think I've, I've talked, we talk about this a lot, a lot of just like false positivity, a lot of weird propping up of things. Like, I think we have to try and learn to be like honest and critical of one another. And we have to be willing to like accept criticism and not try and like ostracize people because everybody again is moving at a pace that is unprecedented, right? We have to like give people the ability to you know, make mistakes and recognize that we are like human and we're trying to do different things and everybody is involved in this one big experiment. So, you know, I think we should be like forgiving, but critical, if that makes sense and honest. Yeah. I mean, I think the lack of criticism isn't quite as problematic today as it's going to become like, pretty soon. Like the lack of criticism on one side but also the lack of accepting of criticism, which I think is you know necessary. Um, like Jerry Saltz wrote this article, which was really critical of the Rafiq Anadol piece at MoMA, which like agree or disagree. It's a fully formulated opinion about a piece of art from an art critic whose job has been for many years to say, I don't like this and here's why. And I don't think the exposure to the responses that I saw thereafter, like it, it just everything became very vitriolic and very dismissive of something that I think personally is deeply necessary. Now, like criticism is just not in my personal ethos as a writer. Like I don't want to criticize. I don't like to, I'm not going to do it. Um, and I understand that I might be adding to the problem because if we just say everything is good, like, yeah, at some point we're going to end up in a very boring place that lacks the ability to judge itself. Um, 
And I think this probably extends to like every aspect of 21st century life. Like we're experiencing an overall like Apple storing of the world. Like everything is sharp corners and neat and monocolored sleekness, like whether it's architecture or technology. Like, look, I love the Apple store, but I don't want my entire life to look like the Apple store. And I am afraid that if we don't collectively start being like a bit more forthcoming with our positive and negative opinions, uh, because I do think criticism is a double-edged sword. Like you have to be vocal about both what you like and don't like. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to end up with the same Apple store middle ground of like, I don't know, art that doesn't challenge the status quo, but art that like fits really neatly into it. And like, I'm sure you echo that opinion. I probably gained that opinion from listening to you. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know. Like all I can say is that it was never like the neat and orderly things that attracted me about this space. Right. It was always kind of like the the rough, the glitch, the difference, the, you know, the people who were giving it away that were just like moving fast, creating piece after piece. I'm, I'm not really here to like go live in a world of like polished 3d contextualist like things of like beauty and that's just me you know i don't need to be um like lulled into a false sense of security because i don't think this is the way the world is i don't really think the world should ever be that way i would rather like the drama and the passion and like the conflict uh in my art right i'm i'm not here for like a somatic experience to take me out of that uh that's me i i think probably most people exist to try and find like soma inducing things to make them escape from the reality of the situation i think if crypto has done anything for me it has helped me like to awaken, to recognize, to take control, to self-actualize, to be more in the present of this conflict and to like emotionally deal with that. And I think that is hopefully at the heart of what we're doing here is like empowering people to just like be more present in that conflict. If they are experiencing something inside of them to not run away with it, to find like, more healthy, creative ways to express it, to share it um, instead of trying to like hide it or obfuscate it or push it down uh, or experience like themselves through other people as like influencers. Words of wisdom from Colborn Bell. (laughs) Um, I think that's a good place to call our conversation for the day. Um, Colborn, we will talk to you again soon. Um, we'll be taking the next few weeks off. I'll be away. Colborn will be away. Um, if you want to show up to the stream and sit in quiet contemplation, please do. Otherwise, uh, have a wonderful week, everybody. And we will talk to you at some point in the future. See ya.